0: Just one verse for opening, but keep your Bibles open. Turn to the first book of Corinthians, please. <clears throat> Just one verse. Corinthians chapter 16 <clears throat> and verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Let us read it again. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Father, take your word and inscribe it in all of our hearts. We pray, Father, that in our weakness you would be made strong and that your glory would be seen in all of our lives as you prepare us for the kingdom of God which is to come. We love you and we worship you and we exalt your name and glorify you. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we would say, Maranatha. So come, Oh Lord, come and glorify your name and your own self. We ask it for your sake, in your name and for your glory. Amen. This verse just came to my mind when I was praying yesterday. And I kept thinking about it and I thought, I'm going to write about it. And today, I sat down to write something and I said, Lord, why pronounce... Anathema Maranatha through your apostle at the end of this wonderful letter. I'll tell you why. As I started to think about it and pray about it, you could see in the content the content of this letter, this epistle, 16 chapters it's broken into for a reading. You can see in it that there's three things that I've called throughout it. We haven't time to go through everything. But I've if you want cherry-picked, to try and to open this up to all of us. There's church governance, church governance, secondly, kingdom principles, and thirdly, millennium reign. Church governance, kingdom principles, and millennium reign. And they intertwine and cross over one another. And it gives us to a place where now church governance and what we learn in church governance and in the governance of our own lives, our kingdom principles, what will take place in the kingdom, and of course, the millennium reign of Christ from resurrection to resurrection. And what do I mean by that? Paul speaks of the first resurrection of the dead and the second resurrection of the dead. And there is a 1,000-year reign of Christ between that. And what happens in there? It would take many weeks to do a study. I mentioned a little thing on Sunday night, just in passing off the cuff, and boy, I seen a few eyes crossing and a few heads shaking. What? When I said there would be unsaved people in this kingdom. Okay? Now, shock, horror, what does that mean? One, it doesn't mean that the unsaved will be in God's heaven. The new heaven and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. But it does mean when Christ returns to this earth, there will be unsaved here. When he sets up his kingdom and his throne, all will bow the knee to him. All will confess him as Lord. And it means that you and I who are in the first resurrection because we're trusting in the blood of Jesus, we are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the first resurrection of the dead or we who are alive and remain, whatever condition we find ourselves in, and when we're changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, we will in the Christ. We'll also do other things. We'll judge angels. We're going to look at that governing in a moment. We'll be judging angels. Christ does all the judging. The idea is here that we sit in a governing body throughout the land, or throughout, if you want, the earth. After the 1,000-year reign, Satan, who has been bound at the beginning of this millennium reign, will be released again. And those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ will have the curse upon their head of a broken law. And they've maybe paid homage by sight. I can't tell it exactly fundamentally because it doesn't tell me. But this is the idea that we're given. Then there is another uprising against Christ but it's quickly quenched by the powerful King of Kings and the Lord of all lords. And we then go into the great white throne judgment where no believer will stand. Okay. No believer will be there. And then there's the lake of fire where the unbeliever will be, those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Peter tells us of it. And the idea is that the earth, remember I said, the earth is is to be populated. Now, how do we reckon this is going to be? No one knows. If you ask me of my own personal view, um, others I've read, I believe this earth will be renovated. Like you'd got out a house and you'd renovate it and make it like a new house. The earth itself will remain. It will be renovated. And from here to heaven, that is the abode of our Father God and his angels, from here to heaven, there will be a new heavens and new earth. So we will be in heaven and we will be populating from here to there and back again. So ask me how that works. I personally would would, would say that, okay? And there are a few little scriptures may point to things like this, but we'll not go into that tonight. So that's my own personal view on the issue. Not that my personal view counts. It's what the scriptures say, okay? So let's get that right. And Paul here says, he says at the end of this, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Let him be anathema. In a nutshell, the word anathema means be under the curse. Be under the curse. I you knew the curse that is upon her, upon all of Adam's race is what? Uh, it's only made known by the breaking of the law. Sin is the transgression of the law, we're told, and it's the curse of the law now, here's something I want to maybe shock some people with. We have to watch for there's a hyper-grace movement that says mainly that we can do all things because nothing matters how you live your life. You don't need to live right, or if you do get things wrong, Actually, sure what about it. It's, it's called a hyper-grace movement. Now, folks, that's a dangerous movement. I believe in grace, 100% saved by grace alone, nothing else. But also I believe in the law of God. I believe in his law is written on the believer's hearts. <clears throat> Excuse my voice. I believe his law is written on the believer's heart. When, you go to, when I go to it now, to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 on down, maybe 33, talks of a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, on down again, talks about I will make a new covenant, not as the covenant I made with their fathers, but I'll write it in their hearts. And in the covenant is the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, he says, I'll write my law in their hearts. Precepts will be in their hearts. In other words, we are not under the law in the sense of the curse of the law. But the law is written on our hearts. The law of the Lord is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. And we have this view that God's law is somehow uh, a failed entity of God's judgment or God's holiness, and it's not. The law of God is perfect converting the soul. That is, it's perfect if you and I can keep it. It's perfect in itself, but it's perfect for our salvation if we can keep it. problem is, in our depraved, original sin human nature, We haven't a hope. So then we come under grace. Saved by grace. Christ kept that law. So that law is written in our hearts that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit tells us. For example, let me me put it like this. The ceremonial law has been perfectly kept and done away with, actually. We're talking about the law, the moral laws of God, the Ten Commandments, for example. If the law of God, i.e. the moral laws of God, the Ten Commandments are done away with, does that mean that we can make idols? No. Does that mean that I can go, and, I know my wife will say no, like, does that mean I can go with my neighbor's wife? <laughs> my wife would say, well, darn you. <laughs> the answer is no. It's to keep us, and the Holy Ghost is the one who keeps us in check because it's written on our hearts. My daughters, as I've said to you before, if I come and write uh, all the rules of the house on a big sheet of paper, pin it to the fridge with fridge magnets, and bring them in every day and say, see all these, learn them off by heart. You know them all, yes, Daddy, I rhyme them all off. And they're, they're able to tell me them. Then I say to them, I'll tell you what, off they go now and keep them. The old saying is out of sight, out of mind. And somewhere along the line, they're going to forget one or unable to keep one or just blatantly Say, well, I've no real sense of my daddy looking about, I can do this, that, or the other. It's human nature, it's who we are. But if I bring my children up to know the ways of it, that it's in their heart and they love it, it's different. And wherever they go, they'll love the word, the law, the rules, the regulations. That's the difference. So God writes it in our hearts. We are not under the curse of the law. Christ has kept the law we couldn't keep. But it's written in our hearts and the Holy Ghost directs us in it and keeps us in the way. So the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And also the law of the Lord is perfect, keeping you and I in the ways of God. Now, what is the weakness of the law? The weakness of the law is our flesh. It's The only thing that's weak about the law is you and I. So when Paul is writing here, he says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus, in other words, he says, if he doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. The word anathema just simply means under the curse. The law, you know, before Moses gave it was actually, it it was still in governance before Moses gave it. The law of didn't come about Moses. The Lord gave Moses it in Sinai for a nation, for a, a, a people gathered, a people elected and chosen. And the reason was because it was always in, in, in the earth, if you want, from the fall of Adam. For example, how did Adam know when sin came but when he fell in the garden? He disobeyed the law of God. How did How did Abel Abel come with his uh, sacrifice of a lamb because of the sin of his father, because there was a law laid down by God? Does that make sense to you? Why did did Noah come off an ark and set up an altar? And how many animals went, not how many went into the ark, but in what order, fashion, form, or What what way did they go into the ark? The animals went in two by two. And I've told you before, they did. That's the unclean animals went in two by two. God made a difference in the animals. The clean animals went in seven by seven. Seven by seven. So the wee song, the animals went in two by two, is right to a point. But the clean animals went in. Why did they go in? One, for eating. Food laws were way before Moses gave it for eating. Secondly, for sacrifice. What happened when, when, when Noah came out of the ark? He built an altar and he sacrificed unto the Lord. Now imagine if he only had two sheep when he gets on the ark and he takes one out and he sacrifices it and he says, Lord, this is for you. And the Lord would say, Noah, how thick can you be? Some? Where's the other one going to come from? So you need more than two for the sacrifice of God and for clean food eating. So you see, the law was always there, but it was codified in the Ten or in the law of God. And then we had the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. The first four, again, are between man and God. From that making an image to the fourth one coming right down, and then six to ten is between man and man. These are kingdom principles. Okay? So they're written in our hearts and, and even in, in church life, we're going to show you in a moment, God willing, that they're pointed to you by the Apostle Paul here, saying, look, you've broken a law here. Ah, oh, but we're under grace. We don't need to worry about this. Paul says, uh-uh, hold on a minute. We're going to show you that in a moment. Kingdom principles are still here and it, what it does is it prepares us for the kingdom. Church governance, kingdom principles, and we're going to look at millennium reign okay so maranatha under the curse or sorry anathema is under the curse maranatha is looking for the coming of the lord at his second coming if you want okay so we're going to look at that O lord come or come O lord if you want and we're going to look at these things because there's so much happens that people don't hear about at the coming of Christ, and I'd love to do a full study over a while, but this is just a few snapshots. So look at all of these things, you might say, "How is this to do with the kingdom?" Well, you watch church governance, kingdom principles, and the Millennium Reign—excuse me—and if you look at those when we're going through these, you're going to find that this is preparing people with kingdom principle and church governance, and also Millennium Reign when we move into that Kingdom Come. Okay. You know, when Paul writes to the church of Corinth, there's a number of reasons why this letter was written. And obviously Paul had been to Corinth before, because now he knows about them. And if you turn to Acts chapter 18, it tells you about him going there before. Acts chapter 18. Verse 1 after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now, at this time, there was a a casting out of Jews. I think it was Nero at this time, casting out of Jews from Rome. So now they're coming across to over the Greece area, and they're coming into Corinth, okay? And that's why they have moved here. With his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded the Jews to depart from Rome, and they came unto them. Obviously it was Claudius, it wasn't Nero. Pardon me. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them, and it by their occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ or the Messiah. He talks of his deity. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am clean from henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justus, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard or next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. So here's the start of the church fellowship, okay? And whenever we look at this, and we see Paul has went to Corinth, he's now left, so where is he when he's writing this? And many believe he's at Ephesus, for he spent three years at Ephesus. That's where we get the Ephesian letter, obviously the same church. So he spent three years at Ephesus. And when he spends three years at Ephesus, he's, he has, a, if you want, a, an, a, a, almost a telephone line, as it were, from Corinth to Ephesus, because Corinth was a major port... It was a major town from where it linked east and west. And all the commerce came in, and all the travelers came by. But guess what? At the middle of all that, there was a real... What way could I put it? Put it like this. There was a saying called, someone was acting very immorally. Maybe someone was a hearted prostitute or whatever. Or someone was a a man who was just absolutely gutter-minded and filthy and with his actions. Someone would have came and said to him, stop playing the Corinthian. And the idea was the Corinthians were so vile, they were just full of sin. Anything went. There was temples there to all sorts of Greek gods and they had temple prostitutes where you went up and you paid to go with these prostitutes and that was your service to God. And they came down, they were shaven-headed women. This actually comes in the Corinthian letter too. Even around 1 Corinthians 11 where it talks about headship, also talks about parts of that. Because these people got saved. (laughs) Imagine having somebody like that in your church. These people got saved. They started hearing of Christ and they got saved. Problem was, there were some areas of the church they started asking questions about different issues. So Paul is now, with this road up and down, Commerce Road from Corinth to Ephesus, there was a a lot of trade route going up and down, and so Paul was quite easily getting all the info. He was listening, well, what's going on? And people traveling up and down were able to tell him. So there's questions that are through the book that Paul is addressing. For example, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And he starts chapter 12 now. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. You know what he's saying? Uh, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. I hear the questions you're asking. Let me answer them. And he goes into the, the whole uh, area of spiritual gifts. And this again is governance for kingdom principle for the millennium. Okay. Uh, that's just one of them. So whenever we look as well, Look at First Corinthians chapter five. I'm only going to pick a few of these out in the way in the way through the through this. First Corinthians chapter five, please. Sorry about that mistake with Nero. Nero was actually uh, a little maybe earlier than that. My head's a bit swimmy at the minute, you'll have to forgive me. I should read on to Claudius. I am I'm my own worst critic, and I embarrass myself when I do those things, and I say, you're not the speed, can catch up, catch up. 1 Corinthians 5. Now, let's just break this down for a second. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Full stop. Let's stop there a minute. See, the term here, it is reported commonly among you. Paul's hearing in this, from this trade route probably people coming up and down. And Paul's saying, I'm hearing a lot of reports. And it's, he just picks this one thing out because it's so grievous. And he points to the law of God. Imagine that to the church. The law of, and most of the church scream when you mention God's law. Oh, don't mention that to me. I'm under grace. Yeah, you are doesn't mean to say you're going to break it on purpose. And the, the idea here is, the, the term it is reported commonly, let me, I jotted down Charles Hodge today, today, let me tell you what he says. He says, this may mean that it was a matter of notoriety that sexual immorality existed among them, that nothing is heard of among you except Or else, it may mean, in general, sexual immorality is heard among you implying different kinds of immoral acts going on all the time. In the church. Do you know what they've done? They they hadn't grown up and stepped away from their worldliness, many of them. And they brought it with them instead of allowing the Holy Ghost to move on them. And a lot of that which was out, if you want Gentiles, can be termed nations. Sometimes the word Gentiles, I do study on that sometimes. The word Gentiles covers quite a bit. It can mean nations, non-Jewish, non-Israelite, it can mean uh Greek. Just, you can swap the word around, but that's another study. But here what nevertheless, let's look at it as the unsaid. we'll put it like that. Here he, he says, even the unsaved aren't getting on like this, church. Even the unsaved aren't getting on like this. He says, and this is being coming up up this, this uh, Corinthophis' telephone line to me all the time. And all I'm hearing is, there's this going on, and there's that going on, and this one's doing that. He's saying, you know, surely if the Holy Ghost is moving... Surely if you've received Christ, there's a growing up into Christ and there's a living right. He picks out this one person. I notice this. He says, uh, so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, the idea is not, it isn't believed at all that this is the man's, this other man's mother. It means that it's the father's either second wife, or maybe another wife if he's married again. So the idea is here that this son has not just went into her once, but is in a, the idea of the, the, the verb of this is he is continually living with his father's wife. In other words, he's continually having sexual relations with his father's wife. So Paul looks at this and uh, let me point you, he says, to what this really means. Go to Leviticus 18. Now, remember, the or, the or, or origin of this church was found among Jews coming from the synagogue. And the idea of it is, whenever they're in the synagogue... The difference between a temple and a synagogue. The temple in Jerusalem, there was one temple, and they went to sacrifice their Passover and so on. But in a synagogue, what was it they done there? They, the idea of it was that they would search the scriptures in, a, in assemblies, you know. And that's where they actually sat down, scribes, Pharisees, and they sat down and searched the scriptures, afraid that maybe the scripture were being watered down. And that's what they did in these synagogues. So now Paul goes in earlier, he preaches Christ to them, they throw him out, and he goes next door, and the guy who's looking after the synagogue, he and his family get saved. And the church starts to grow. Unfortunately, others start to come along, and what happens? They have to know some sort of Israelite law here. There have to be somewhere along here there's an Israelite connection, because how would they know the law of what Paul's talking about? Leviticus 18, just a couple of verses here. Verse 7 and 8. I'll tell you, I'll go to 6. Go to 6, sorry. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him. To uncover their nakedness, I am the Lord. The nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother, thou shalt not uncover. She is thy mother. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of thy father's wife. Notice the terms here. Thy mother, neither is thy father's wife. In case the father remarries, or maybe the mother dies, or whatever. The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. So it goes on to not uncovering the nakedness of your sister. Incest. Incestual relationships. So all these things that we hear today, all these uh, immoral things, uh, and incest and and pedophilia and all that sort of uh, rotten stuff, it's not new. It's not a 20th century, 21st century thing. Here it is in Scripture. And that's why God set this in the nation to say, you won't do this. But when we say it's no longer valid, then people have nothing to answer for, and off they go and do it. But the Lord says you won't do it. Now, in the Church of Corinth, they come in, and this is what's happening. And Paul says, "Whoa, whoa have you ever read? Only it wouldn't be divided into a book we have in the chapters, but uh, uh, pardon the way I've said Have you ever read Leviticus chapter 18? Church, do you know the Old Testament? Church, do you know and remember?" The scriptures in these days are the Old Testament. Actually, Paul writing this was actually giving us our New Testament. It was coming into being. But the scriptures were the Old Testament because the New Testament was only being written and some of it hadn't even been written. So when Paul is referring to this, he's referring to the law of God. Does that make sense? Because there is no other scriptures. So, what does he do with this? How, how does a kingdom principle embed into the heart that a man or, or a church can learn from it? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> First, 2 says, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, the idea here is, The Corinthian church but think that they can do anything, they're so puffed up. And by this time, they can act in the spirit the way they feel they can't want to. By this time they can get on whatever way they want to. They can sin whatever way they want to. We are the Corinthians, you know. Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. See, at this time you should be mourning at the loss of a brother. Isn't that strange? 'Cause you and I would either say, I can see him or her and just ignore them or you know what, we're gonna, you know, read you out and kick you out and all that sort of stuff. And listen, it needed dealt with. It needed dealt with. And this is what he said. He says, Look, you're so puffed up, he says, You can't even mourn for this man. He's falling away from Christ. You're too self conceited, Corinth. It comes into verse 3. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit. Notice that small spirit, because he's not omnipresent, Paul. He's just a man. That's his own spirit. Nor is my, you know you say? My heart's with you in this thing. Really, that's what he's saying. Present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. Then he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, and my spirit or with my apostolic authority, my grants in this, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice this, to deliver such and one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is a really, really difficult verse here. There's different ideas on it, and I can't go into them all, but I'll give you an idea of some of them anyhow. Some said is, put them out from among you. And they believed that there was the casting out. In other words, it used to be that when you... When you come into a church and you were put out, it's like you would get the Church of Romex communicating someone. It's not exactly the same here because he doesn't want that fully, but the idea is put him away and let him see he's out of fellowship. And if he's out of fellowship he'll start to repent. Some believe that's what it means. But let's talk about the destruction of the flesh. But rather, it seems that he's saying, you know, he's sowing into his flesh, he's going to reap of the flesh corruption. And if we keep sowing in, in immorality, I hear sexual immorality, then maybe disease will come or maybe whatever. And some believe there was an apostolic, uh, if you want a cursing, an anathema, this man, we're leaving him to die. He's going to die. But why? Notice what he says here. For the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What day? At the second coming for a millennium. Isn't that really strange? But this man's breaking the law. This is grace, brothers and sisters. This man, actually, Paul is noting that this man is a believer. And this man's gone wrong. Now, there's more to it than that. So let me, stay with me to show you this. For example, turn to First Timothy 1 and 20. I don't think I've read any... I've read over different, I know many people have read on that, and nobody has come to a final conclusion, but these are the ideas they believe Paul was speaking of. But First uh, Timothy, please. Chapter 1. And verse 17. Now, unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto the son Timothy. According to the prophecies that went before on thee, that thy by them made us war a good warfare. Now, Paul's saying here, Timothy's getting it tough. He's only probably about 22 to 25 years of age here. He's getting it tight. And Paul's saying, there's prophecies that have been prophesied over your life. You need to hold on to them until God brings them to pass. And when he does, he says, you're going to see them come to fulfill, but you need to dig deep. You need to move on. You need to really hold on to this. Notice this, holding faith and having a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. In other words, they've just threw the head up, yeah, who cares? I'm out of here. He says, Timothy, don't you do that. You keep going on in God. The prophetic utterances over you are going to come to pass. The prophetic word in your life is going to come to pass. Brothers and sisters, I would say the same to you. Verse 20, of whom Hymenaeus and Alexander, notice what Paul says again, who may have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So there's an apostolic authority here too, and Paul's saying, what? i would fix them. Let them go unto Satan. Isn't that strange? Now that go back to First Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 5. To deliver such a one as Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, some say that at the very leaving or the power that is placed by the leadership of, of of the assembly at this time, Through the apostolic gifting of Paul and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, really you're saying you're an anointed people. Now you've got my apostolic authority. Go and exert it and it'll be a destruction of the flesh. And the idea was that this man would be saved because he's falling further and further away from God. Here's a controversial wee idea. Sometimes I say it, and I'm sorry I said it. You know, one of those ones. Sometimes the Lord may take people home to save a testimony on their soul if they're not living right. Exactly then. Lest thou die before thy time breaking bread not discerning the Lord's body some of you are weak and sleep or die and the modern church doesn't like you to talk like that don't you dare speak like that do you not know our God is sovereign and his name will not be defiled? sometimes the Lord would say you are abusing what I've given you you're abusing the testimony, and he gives us space to repent. And then we're cut off, and that will find remedy to be saved. So on this one note, by Warren Wearsby, I don't read a lot of Warren Wearsby. I did a while years ago, but haven't recently. But I caught this today on church governance and discipline. Church discipline is not a group of pious policemen out to catch a criminal. Rather, it is a group of heartbroken brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of their family. See one sinning, and your love will cover a multitude of sins. Let me tell you something. See, as a pastor, see if I tell you as a pastor the things I cover for people. Let me say this: nobody's better than the other. I'm just letting that. Out. I'm just saying that, throwing that out there in case somebody goes, "It must be her, <laughs> it must be him, <laughs> or them is over there." None of us are any better than the other. It's all by grace. All by grace. So, Paul speaks of a, of a similar. Now notice this is for kingdom. So, see, if this is for kingdom. Paul speaks of, of a similar situation. Go to chapter three. Chapter three. That's a bit different tonight, isn't it? And you're seeing, you're, you're saying this. This just came to me from this one verse. I thought I'll sit down and I'll have a wee read at it and pray over it and see what happens. Chapter 3. Let your eye run down. <clears throat> Let your eye run down to verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder I have laid the foundations and other buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Notice that. So you take heed and I'll take heed, okay? For other foundation can no man lay than that is led which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble Notice, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now notice the word reward. This is believers we're speaking to now. This is God's uh, God's elect the ones who are bought with the blood of Christ if any man's work shall be burned he shall suffer loss imagine that about the virgins too remember shall suffer loss notice but he himself shall be saved yet so as by far. know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among ye seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. Now notice here, Paul says about a foundation that is to be laid, which is Christ Jesus, the gospel of saving grace. Justification by faith. Nothing else. The blood of Christ. There's no other foundation. None whatsoever. It it doesn't matter what others want to add or try, take away from, then the foundation's wrong. Christ, Christ alone. Full stop. I think we've laid that foundation, okay? So it's how we build in our life, our ministry, how we build in our lifestyle, how we build on top of that. What we use... Uh, the Apostle Paul, as as he's going through Corinth, he takes a lot of ideas from the actual town and city that he's walking around, and I'll do that sometime. I did a wee bit about five or six years ago here, just to throw it out there, just to, and people enjoyed it. I might do it again some other time, but this is a, this is a city metaphor in the life of Paul. And other was the city metaphor is Paul is looking high, how a, a, a building is built and the foundations and everything's built on it. And around Corinth then, there had been a, a... I think it was a big earthquake was around there at that time. They were trying to rebuild. And he's watching the different buildings go up and some of them were built with groundure, some were built strong, and others were like mud huts and sticks and straw. And we, I was going to say tin roof, but it wasn't a tin roof. You know, very... Uh, just thrown up. There's nothing in it. It was very fragile and frail. And Paul's looking at this. And so he says, if you build, you know, uh, gold or silver or precious stones, and he looks at the other ones, oh, wood hence stubble. Now, if a fire is lit and a fire, a house fire happens, the, the strong structure, you may get the flames engulfing and burning the inside, but the strong structure was staying. Because there, this was a common thing in these days, what happened, because there was no, obviously no uh, Sprinklers are fabricated. And when when something burnt, you either had to just let it burn to the ground and see what's left. And Paul's looking at this, he says, now you see this, this building's strong. This building's made of of real good material and it'll stay. There'll be a shell maybe left or Some of it burnt away, but you'll be able to rebuild with it. Now see this one with straw or wee bits of wood and somebody's built this wee rickety house. He says, one fire and it's away. That's what he's talking about here. He's given an analogy here of the life in Corinth. And he's talking to the church. He says, now, which one are you building? Because there's coming a time, listen, this is a kingdom principle, because there's coming a time for reward or loss. But not your salvation. Because he says you'd be saved. There's administration in the kingdom. People think it's off to heaven in a handbasket. Get there and see Peter when the gates. They're partying in the golden Streets. That's <laughs> metaphor for us to be able to understand the preciousness and the glory of it. It's greater than that. It's far better than that. Here the idea is Paul saying, What would stand? How would you get on? Then he gives the idea of you going through the fire. Let's look at it. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. The idea is, if you're in a house and it's going to fall and crumble at the first fire that goes off, and you're not going to be able to escape it, you'll die in the fire. But if you're in a building that's strong, he says, you have a better chance before it collapses around you of getting out. He says, and you'll suffer loss, or you'll you'll gain reward. That's why whenever Christ returns, those of us who are saved, we will stand on what's known as the judgment seat of Christ. Or the word judgment is a bema, and it's a tribunal seat. That's not for your sin. You'll never stand for your sin. It's for your works, your service, your faithfulness, your life before Christ, your love for him. Paul says, if any man loves not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. And those of us who love him will serve him. We'll be tried at this. In other words, we'll be offered, and we'll receive a reward or some kind of loss. That's the idea of this. So I'm just going to give you, I'm just giving you an idea of kingdom principles. And when is this? This is when Christ returns. So we're going to the millennium here. First resurrection. Remember the millennium, the second resurrection. Okay, let's go on a little. Then he says, verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that your spirit—that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? Now listen. I don't know why, because I don't know what taught the greatest I'd be honest. I don't know what, to what degree Paul's speaking off here. If I take too much sugar, am I destroying the temple? <coughs> Especially if I'm diabetic, I'm not. Like, but if I was, if I want twenty cigarettes a day, forty cigarettes a day, saying I'm a believer. Hello. Lung cancer. If I'm a sipping saint and I sip too long and hard, says God, will destroy you. That's what the scripture says. I did say that. Here's one for you. You ready? You pick yours up in this one. What about if you're eating the peg? Love the pig. <laughs> it keeps me going all the time, but because the pig's an abomination to God, it's an unclean animal. It's scientific, it's proven scientific. It's the worst meat to eat. In fact, you know what? The health shops or the the, the pet shops won't even put it in dog food now. <laughs> they won't even let the dogs eat it. There's a worm in a pig that doesn't die. Do you know. What do you call it? Hepatitis gives you hepatitis. No matter what you do with it, it doesn't die. Where the worm dieth not. <laughs> A pig has no sweat glands, and it. it has oozing tubes out its feet of pus. It's the only way I can get rid of it, and it goes into its meat. And when you cook your bacon, that's what you're eating. <laughs> you think it's not juicy? No, it's not. Well, Pastor, you pray over it. Okay. I don't want to go in, because that's another subject altogether. But let me tell you about the praying over it, because Paul talks about this in this letter as well. And he's given us another kingdom principle. Do you know what he says? Well, then, they say, well, if you're anything, any uh, food is set before you, you may eat, or any, uh, you pray over it. Now, you're talking here to Jews who were saved at a synagogue and others coming in, okay? Coming from other temples. Now, can you imagine today, not even in biblical times here, if I take you up to the synagogue in North Belfast, near where I still live, and there's only a wee handful of Jews left there. So if I take you up to the Jewish synagogue and say to them, Mom will take you out for your tea. <laughs> and I take them out for tea, and I sat them down a big pig's foot. <laughs> will they eat it? No. Or if I say, will you take me to where you are? They'll take us to somewhere where they eat kosher food. They're not going to go looking for somewhere that sells bacon sandwiches. <laughs> get, that's the idea of it here. Because we think we go, oh, the, they must be out in the shambles and there's a big pig's foot and there's a few rushers of bacon. We'll pray over this. That's not what Paul means. Paul is saying, look, he says, if, you, he says, if, if you're in there and you're going through the shambles or the markets, they're looking for beef or they're looking for lamb. They're not looking for pig because they have a Jewish mindset. They're not looking for it. But it might have been sacrificed to those temples where these, where these harlots were, to their gods. It means sanctify it by your prayer. I need it. That's what it means. But every creature of God is good for food. Okay, right, let me deal with that just off the cuff here. Every creature of God is good for food. God made every creature, and every creature's good. He did, he did. Let me just settle this for you. And some of the reinforcements, we poisonous tree frogs, frogs. That's a creature of God, isn't it? You touch one, you put your tip, tip of your finger on it, it just kills you, stone dead. If I bring one of them into you and I say, now this is a creature of God's creation, that's fried up, <laughs> and you you can eat it because it's good for food. Would you eat it? He probably would. (laughs) But do you see the idea of it here? No, you wouldn't, because the creatures are good for food or what? From Noah's day, seven get into the ark. That's what he means. Seven clean animals. So when it comes to the New Testament, let's pray over it. (laughs) If I bring to you a bucket full of rats... Creatures of God. Now, see, I catch them down the river when I'm out with a dog and I bring up these big long dangly hurry rats. <laughs> and I and I get it and I fret them for it and say, Here's a good just pray over it. It'll be all right. Tell <laughs> <laughs> me would still eat it. <laughs> do you get the idea of it here? You know? So it's more to do <laughs> it's more to do with sanctification. It's more to do with sanctification. I, I, a, a pig hasn't changed its nature. A pig's a pig. Can <laughs> I ask a question? Yeah? Why would Governor McKillop, who would here that Mishne promote <clears throat> or bring pigs from the market out to the villages? Just the Madam Thursday or Sunday night, no, Sunday, Sunday before, money. you know, some money, money. and to be able to have the people have these. It doesn't fall. It doesn't. It's so many opinions, I mean, yeah. It's got a worm. It's got a worm. In fact, I'll tell you about it. Not really hepatitis. So not, not well, I was going to say to you. And, f- and the, they've done studies. They've done studies in the Philippines, and their main dad's pig, and they took the people off the pig, and of the highest source, the highest uh, count of sclerosis of the liver of anywhere in the world because their main dad's pig, and that's right down to the pig. foods pig, It's pig no well well <laughs> <laughs> I'm, only, I, I'm only saying I mean it's up to you. if you want to eat it if you want to eat it and destroy the temple that's up to yourself eat away on it and get sclerosis or get whatever and say well the internet says but God's word says it's unclean Well, again, exactly. I mean, it's not to do, don't get me wrong, this is not to do with your salvation, because this is what I'm saying. This is not to do with your salvation. But this is to do with health. When the Lord said to Israel, I am the Lord that healeth thee, it means more than just a miracle of healing. It means I am the Lord who keeps you in health. So he gives them health. Foods. And that's why I give it. He says, I'm here to keep you in health. And that's the idea of it. You know, Listen, he'd have pick you want, I'm just saying, and, that's, and this is what Paul is saying here. He said, now, if you destroy the temple... And that's why I said, I don't know how far do we go because no matter what, all of this must be kept from government level up because they're pumping everything into every food now. But if the government was to keep this, then we would be healthier people. We would be healthier people. There's been recent studies of worms coming from pig and ending up in the brain. Maggot size, growing into maggot size. Trichinitis comes from pigs. There's so many, there's so many known and I know you see see the I don't know why I I don't I've used up too much time on the pig. But I see at the end of the day, see whenever you get to this see when you get into this and you realise that God says the pig is an unclean animal, it's either God says it is or it isn't. are happy not to go against them. Mm-hmm. Why not? in the same book, the he says about gays being an abomination unto him, he also says pigs are an abomination. You're an abomination, but pigs, uh, you're, you're all right. We can pray over the guests. Hey, See, the idea is, <laughs> the, the idea is, it's not. Uh, who knows what transubstantiation is? Go ahead. I'll tell you this in a nutshell, for those who don't. Transubstantiation is turning one thing into another. And the priest prays over a wafer of the Catholic Church, and he prays over it, and he says. You know, his prayer, and he's turned that into, uh, according to them, he's changed that into the body, the blood, the sinew, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now, that's transform Praying over it changes that. Obviously, we know that's not true. It's just a wafer, it's flour and water. That's all it is. Does praying over a pig turn it into something else? Does it turn it into a sheep or a lamb? It doesn't. The, that's because it is the same, Bill. That's because it is the same. I may not have to put this online, I have like all this talking. Look, it's not my fault God says it's an abomination. Our society, even the Muslims have it right. Even the Muslims have it right. Our society, because we call ourselves New Testament believers, well, then we can just do away with it. And Paul, even in Corinthians, he says, oh, destroy the temple, God destroy you. Not only through pig out there, but through smoking out there, through drink out there. You can take drugs. You can take fornication. You can take, you know, sleeping around. And all that is the possibilities of destroying the temple of God, whom ye are. You not have to give me another few minutes to get this close up here, Okay. Okay. When Paul speaks of building a foundation on Christ, okay, he speaks of one escaping a burning building. He says, "But who's your foundation?" Do you know, in the New Testament, the name Jesus is mentioned 973 times. Now, once it's used um, for Joshua, so that's 972, and there's a man called Bar Jesus which is 971. And it's off the top of my head. So you're talking about 970 times. In this one epistle, the foundation name of the Lord Jesus or Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, whatever, is used 27 times. Paul keeps emphasizing Christ, 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 Christ. with me to chapter six. We'll do this and we'll, we'll finish because I'm going to have to do another night does this is all right. <laughs> you can eat turkey bacon as I'm eating at the moment. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's one you might want to consider after me telling you about the pig, all right? (laughs) Uh, Dare any of you having a matter against one another? (laughs) Go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Hello? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged of you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and not before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the, righteous, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor invaders, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now notice this. Paul says there were those who were starting to take their fellow brethren to court. To be judged outside, maybe one has wronged another. Another. Or maybe one has uh, defrauded somebody in some way, or hasn't paid back something. Or they went outside to the unsaved, started going to them and bringing them to court. And Paul says, "Well, whoa, whoa. this is the church of Corinth." He says, "Now, hold on a second. Do you really realize who you are? Do you realize that you're giving precious things?" And those whom Christ has bought with a price and you're taking them and you're bringing it out to places like the unsaved and you're showing your testimony and giving your testimony up and you're letting them judge you. He says, can you not sort it out between yourselves? Surely you can, he says, if you're true believers. Then he says, do you not know that you're going to judge the world? And we're going to judge the angels. Now again we go back to the first resurrection at the second coming of Christ. And at this first resurrection at the second coming of Christ this is what we notice. That when we're changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, twinkling of an eye and we return with Christ we're going to be sitting on ruling councils as I said earlier or whatever, that's just a, a, a term I'm trying to uh, sort out for our own minds. And we're going to judge the unsaved. Christ will be the judge, but we'll be sitting with him. We're going to judge angels. Now, if if there's no unsaved in that millennium kingdom, who are we going to judge? Who's the world? There has to be. Now, at the end of that millennium reign, when all the judgment for the lake of fire is done. Then we'll go into new heavens and new earth for eternity. And there's no sin. There's no one saved. It's too late for all people. Look. Flick across a couple of scriptures for me. Romans 8 and 7. I want to show you. Joint heirs, Okay? Joint heirs. Romans 8 and 7. A few minutes and we're finished. Romans Romans 8. 17, sorry, Romans 8 and 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You and I are going to sit in glorified state because of the blood of Christ. Turn with me next. So let's join theirs. Turn with me to Second Timothy two. Second Timothy two. And <clears throat> Verse ten. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying for if we be dead with him we shall also live with him. If we suffer we shall also reign with him. If we deny him he will also deny us. So if we suffer this life we will reign with him. Go with us. So here's reading with him. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Back into the Old Testament. Why would you go to the Old Testament? Because this is a a projected, ver, a projected portion of scripture to bring us into the kingdom, which is yet to come. So Daniel chapter 7. I may mention this on the coming Sunday night. I don't know. Daniel chapter 7. And let your eye run down, please. Excuse me. Verse 21. And I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. maybe talk about that on Sunday night, God willing. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints. Hello? Judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Take that in, okay? That the saints possessed the kingdom, okay? Two more we read scriptures or so, and then we'll finish. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And verse 28. And Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or mother, or father, or wife, or children, or lands. For my sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2. And let your run right down. Verse 25. But that which he have already, hold fast, notice, till I come, till his coming. Okay? And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. You notice that? And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. So there the Lord says that we will rule with him over the nations. Let me close with this. When we speak of things in our life, whether it's the temple, your body, which is the temple of God, and the things we consume, or whether it's the way we act, we are being trained for a life of overcoming that is to come. Now, I know we, we talked there about the swine, and we know we talked about consuming or not consuming. It's not a salvation issue. Let me make that plain. The only thing I don't my anybody in here says if you die you can't be saved. That's nonsense. Nobody saying that. People tend to hold on to things because we like it. There's Christians make excuse for alcohol because they like it. They go with the flow. Sure, everybody's drinking now. Does not make it right? As Christians could tell you, well, it doesn't say, thou shalt not smoke. And I know it doesn't. But does it make it right if you do? Of course it doesn't. It's to do with the temple of God and the building that you're doing with it doesn't mean say I have to go out on 10 miles every day. I don't mean that. It's just putting into it the right things that God has placed here. Doing with it the right things, not joining ourselves to a heart for them to become one. Because we can always find an excuse why. Why, why is it, and I know Father had brought that up, but I'm actually pointing more to Timmy here. <laughs> Timmy keeps me going, sends me stuff online, all pig buns and all this important so <laughs> Pork buns and all, you know. And I, we take it all good. It's all, good, it's all good crack, you know. It's all good laugh. And uh, I keep him going. He keeps me going. Now, folks, please, listen to me. I personally don't eat shellfish or pig because it says in the Bible not to. Now, if you want to eat it, eat away out of I'm not saying you can't. But listen, in the same way, now, listen to me carefully. And I, I, I don't even like to mention this, but I just have to be truthful with all things. If you say to me, if I take a glass of wine, will it keep me out of heaven? No, it won't. But the Bible does say they abstain from all appearance of evil. And I don't know why all Christians want to drink anyway. There's other things to drink rather than alcohol. But that's not for me to enforce that on you. But it's for me to tell you about it. Is that fair enough? If you smoke 20 cigarettes a day, does the Bible say you're going to be kept out of heaven? No, it doesn't. It might say you'll destroy the temple or God will lie you say, time to come. Because maybe you're smoking 20, 40 cigarettes a day and somebody's saying, oh, who's your man's a Christian? This smokes him every time I see him, he's a, he's a fag hanging out his mouth. Or he's a glass of wine in his hand. And you know what happens? It's not living up to God's principles and precepts for the kingdom. What's the use in praying for someone with lung cancer if they go out and start smoking? So please get me clear. I'm not trying to be a tyrant, and I'm not trying to say every you're not going to heaven. But what can happen? And destroy the body, but the soul will be saved for those who are Christ's. Does that make sense? Sometimes a lifestyle. God, or else the lifestyle, depending on the type of lifestyle, can cause you to come home quicker. No fallout with me, okay? <laughs> and it's to do with the kingdom principle of overcoming. Prayer sanctifies. We don't believe in transubstantiation. I bring you in a big steak on Sunday. We'll put it on the table and we'll gather around it and we'll pray over it as much as you want. It's not going to turn into a pork chop. Is this, man? Well, i get this out of the Lord's is and same and the time's well, well gone. It's well gone.